Your source for community. Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine. The Bay, 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental. Keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome to Muskoka Drawdown. My name is Frank DeYoung. I'm here on behalf of Climate Action Muskoka. We need to shift from fossil fuels to renewables. We need to electrify the economy. We need to construct efficient buildings and rewild systems. My guest today is Cheryl Fink. Cheryl is the campaign director of the Canadian branch of the International Fund for Animal Welfare. She worked for 20 years to end the seal hunt. After completing her Bachelor of Science in Wildlife Biology, she joined IFAW, which is International Fund for Animal Welfare, as a researcher on marine animals and fish, and the conservation and sustainable use of wildlife. Welcome, Cheryl. Thanks very much, Frank, for having me on your program. Cheryl, it's great to have you here, but uh, you're a marine biologist, yet you live in Huntsville. Is What's wrong with that picture? Uh, in fact, and I got my degree in Guelph, which is equally not near any body of large body of water. But uh, a lot of people don't know that Guelph actually used to be a hotbed of marine biology research. When I was a student there, we had harp seals in the arboretum in tanks that they were conducting research on. So that's how, how I came into it. That's how I got involved with IFA. One of my professors in Guelph ended up being the scientific advisor for the organization. And I just started working for them. And yeah, here I am in the middle of Ontario studying ocean creatures and ways to protect our ocean. Well, I I actually have canoed right to the ocean from here. And that's because James Bay is actually the ocean and Mm -hmm. we, it's part of Ontario. Most people don't even realize we have an ocean uh, coast in in our province. It's one ocean, one ocean. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, all many, many, for many decades, the big always in the news was the seal hunt. So uh, just give me a quick rundown on when when that happened and how it all ended. Oh, it's a, and it's such a long history. Um, and it still continues to this day, which I think a lot of people aren't aware of just because no. it's not in the media as much as it used to be. Um, I mean, the seal hunt is tr- traditionally it started back in the 1600s, where it was a hunt for whales and seals for their oil that was exported to Europe to be used as a source of fuel. Uh, hundreds of years later, once we had electricity, that sort of changed into a an industry for the fashion in- industry for the seals fur. And then things really started, I guess, heating up in the late 1960s, 1970s. The organization I work for, IFA, was actually founded to try to bring an end to the commercial seal hunt on the east coast of Canada. I did not know that. Yeah, that was that was our founding campaign. Um, a lot of people will probably remember things really heated up in the 70s and the 80s yes. with celebrities coming to the ice. Bridget Bardot. That's right. Yeah, lots of videos, lots of um, protests on the ice. I think Greenpeace and Sea Shepherd and other Dave organizations. Dave Foreman, yeah. Um, who was the guy who was Sea Shepherd? Uh, Paul, Paul Watson. Watson. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, and then, and then we had some success in 1984. Uh, Europe banned the import of white coat seal pelt products. Yes, I remember that. And that had a very significant impact on the industry. It basically put an end to it. The seals were still hunted, older seals, but it was down on the level of maybe thirty thousand a year instead of hundreds of thousands a year. Yeah. So the 1980s and the early 1990s. 
it was pretty much a low level. There was some hunting for personal consumption or personal use and things were, were pretty quiet. And then in 1992, we had the collapse of the Atlantic cod stocks, of course, devastating to Newfoundland. Unrelated to the seal population. Unrelated, but tens of thousands of fishermen were put out of work. And the fisheries minister, short liberal government came in and Brian Tobin was our fisheries minister. Captain Very, cap, that's right. The <laughs> turbot hanging by his little fingernails are... But very ambitious, very politically motivated, and he saw an opportunity. I mean, in 92, when the moratorium came in, the scientists were saying this is going to be 20, 25, 30 years. Um, but the, the government of the time said this is only for two years and then you'll be back fishing. Well, two years passed. That obviously couldn't happen. And they needed someone to blame. No government's going to take responsibility for mismanagement of fish oh, stocks no. or mismanagement so of the again, fishery. The seals came so Brian Tobin stood up and he said, there is only one player fishing that stock. His first name is Harp and his last name is Seal. Oh he said God. this at a conference in New Zealand. And he increased the quota, the allowable catch for Harp Seals. And he introduced direct subsidies to the fishermen to go out and kill seals. And he would pay them 20 cents. That was matched by a provincial subsidy. So this had the effect of bringing the seal hunt from basically nothing back up to an industry where they were killing, you know, 250, 300,000 animals a year. Right. The difference this time was that instead of targeting the white coat seals, which is a, a seal pup two weeks or younger, yes. still nursing, they targeted newly molted seals. So the seals that were between two and three weeks and three months. So these, they didn't have their white fur anymore. They had, they have a silver fur, they're called yeah. beaters. And these, these seals of this age were not, um, the European ban didn't affect them because it was only on white coat products. So by getting around this ban, they put in, and not just the liberal government, conservative government of well, as well over the past 20 years, have put hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies into trying to develop <clears throat> products made out of seals, open markets for seal products, just a huge investment in the industry. And that had the impact of like bringing it back up from nothing to a situation where over 350, 360,000 seals were being killed every year. And around 2006, I think that was about the peak of the industry. Yeah. And then again, because of groups like IFA, this was part of my job was going to the hunt, documenting what we saw there, um, not interfering, not protesting, but just documenting with footage the way the seals were being killed. And we took that back to Europe and showed them what was happening because, of course, the government was saying it's sustainable, it's humane, there's nothing to be seen here. Yeah. Um, but when we saw that, when we had that footage and we brought European politicians to the ice with us, um, this started a movement again in Europe to ban seal products, this time all seal products, not just the white coat harp seal products. And that started moving in 20, 2006, 2007. At the same time, there were a lot of other factors, I think, happening. It wasn't just this, these bans that brought in, brought a decline to the seal hunt again, um, economic crisis global warming. People aren't wearing fur as much as they used to for climate reasons and also for ethical reasons. I think all of that combined, <clears throat> the the industry started to get smaller and smaller. And since uh, 2009, the European Union finally got that ban in place. The commercial sealing industry on the East Coast of Canada has pretty much collapsed to where it was back in the early 1980s or mid 1980s. So it's it's really been an interesting cycle. And the thing that stands out to me is how much this whole process has been driven by politics and political decisions. Yeah. It's not being driven yeah. by economics yeah. or markets. It's no, it the was, opposite. It's subsidized. Yeah, it's, it's political machinery. And I think today still the seal hunt is, it's a political issue. We saw Pierre yeah. Poiliev yeah. A, a month ago saying he was going to expand the seal hunt. If he got, and it's like, 
there's, this is not, this is not the jobs of the future. And I go to Newfoundland fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and people there know this is not an industry of the future. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a seal harvest for those that like to eat it and community church suppers. And yeah. we're not opposed to that. Um, I don't know if other organizations are, but there's always going to be that. There's always going to be an Inuit hunt for harps for seals mm-hmm. in the Arctic. We see that as a very different sort of situation. It's a different species, different, like everything about it is different. Yeah. Um, so it's never going to disappear completely. But this idea that we need to like kill hundreds of thousands of seals to make purses or sneakers, is just, it's ludicrous. I think we're, we've moved, most of the world has moved beyond that. The Canadian politicians are kind of a little bit still stuck on it. There you go. All right. Now I'd like to, um, I understand you've been, had a lot to do with the right whales and I've been following that their plight for the last uh, decades as well. Mm-hmm. Why are they called the right whale, first of all? They're called the right whale for all the wrong reasons, as you would know. Um, <laughs> I do know yeah, back in the day, this was considered the right whale to kill because they were slow. They spent a lot of time near the surface. So the whalers, they were easy for the whalers to target and to hunt. They had a large amount of fat, which is what the main purpose of the, the whaling industry was back in the day. So, and they also floated once they were killed okay. or harpooned. So they were easy to hunt, easy to retrieve, lots of blubber. Um, and for that reason, they very nearly went extinct. Yeah. Yeah. And now there's, it's a tentative, it's in the, it makes the, makes the papers every time when there's a few extra calves are born every year. Every, this is population where every individual animal exactly. really does matter. The, the estimate is about 340 animals now, which is down Total. from, yeah, it's, it's dwindling and every year. The number of calves being born is just not keeping up with the number of whales that are dying every year. Um, yes. There's only 70 reproductive females left. So this is a species that's critically endangered. It's one step away from being extinct. Is it? Is it the toxins in the water as well? The toxins are they not in the St. Lawrence? Uh, they they come into the St. Lawrence, but ninety percent of the whales that have died in the past since twenty seventeen are hit by ninety percent have been either hit by ships or entangled in fishing gear. Though so that's that is you know these are dying. They're not dying from natural causes. They're dying because we're killing them. Yeah. Okay, now let's let's move on to sharks. I want to hear your take on sharks because oh, well, I, I know that like 80, 90% of sharks in the world have been wiped out and sharks have been around for 400 million years and yet we have the, the arrogance to kill them indiscriminately. And I think there's a lot of, you know, any animal that's a predator, there's a lot of fear associated with it. But top predators, sharks, whales, seals, all of them are incredibly important to our ecosystems, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, the shark fin trade is another issue that's incredibly important. Um, Canada banned the import of shark fins a, f- a few years back, which was a great mm-hmm. step, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Aren't they all also bycatch in dragnets? Bycatch, yep, in fisheries. And- um, now one another interesting story because of this video that went, went viral on the octopus, my octopus teacher. Yeah. And now apparently uh, people are sort of realizing that octopuses are like equally intelligent to humans or maybe more. So it's becoming more difficult for people to eat them. Isn't that a fascinating story? Well, and I think there's something, I could be totally wrong. I don't know if it's Elizabeth May behind it, but there's a petition or something in the process because there was a move to start farming octopus Correct. in Canada for to yes. eat them. And and as you say, incredibly intelligent animals that, that we don't need to be eating. <laughs> no kidding. Um, okay, well, you already touched on it. What about the interactions? This is one thing you apparently study is interactions between marine animals and fish. Do you have any uh, uh, tidbits there that are that will wow our uh, our radio audience? Well, I don't have all the answers, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, but I think we're, you know, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter if we're talking about seals and fish or another marine predator or anything that involves predator and prey. 
we kind of fall back on this idea that there, the ecosystem needs to be in a balance. And if we kill more seals, therefore yeah. there will be more fish, which means more fish for fishermen and they will make more money. But ecosystems are obviously much more complicated than this. And killing seals or killing any top predator might have a negative impact on the prey species that you're trying to help recover. Um, it's not always a clear line. There's intermediate predators. So by killing a top predator, another predator could increase, which could have negative yeah. consequences. So, I mean, there's people way smarter than I am who are doing modeling to try to make sure that if we are going to intervene and try to try to, you know, change an ecosystem that we have some idea what the outcome is going to be. But generally there's just seems to be unexpected and unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah. We don't know what, we don't know how to manage ecosystems. And we don't even care, generally speaking. Well, is there such a thing as a sustainable uh, fishery? I think, yeah. So there, I think there's been small scale sh fisheries that have been sustainable. Um, it's a question of scale, in other words, and the technology so. being used and the monitoring and... I think so. And part of the reason is the ocean beyond the 300 mile limit, isn't it? Then there's, it's a free for all and uh, there's no uh, regulations and no, no royalties paid or taxes. It's just a wild west show and the ocean is being decimated. Yeah. And, and even within we, you know, undersea mining rights and there's, it's such a vast area that is, yeah. we know so little about it still. Um, Cheryl, can you hold on for a few minutes? We have to go for a small break right now, and we'll be back after uh, in a few minutes. Thank you. Buy Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. Welcome back to Muskoka Drawdown. My guest is Cheryl Fink, who uh, works for IFA, the International Fund for Animal Welfare. She's in charge of, uh, of uh, campaigns for the interior, for the Canadian uh, arm of, uh, of IFA. Um, Cheryl, can you, uh, I was just read this morning that uh, IFA's philosophy is that individual animals matter. And I presume that means versus ecosystems or like I always hear that if we, as long as we preserve the ecosystem, then we don't have to worry so much about the individual uh, animal or insect. What's your thought on that? I think it's an interesting take and a little bit comes from our name, International Fund for Animal Welfare. Even though we are primarily a conservation organization, we still have welfare in our name. And I think, you know, for the past few decades anyways, there's been this sense that when we talk about conservation, we only concern ourselves with the species at the species level or the population level. How many individuals are there? Yeah. And I think we're trying to push a movement where we look a little bit deeper. So what, how are the individuals faring in that? population how how is their health how is their well-being and i think especially with species such as the north atlantic right whale we are seeing increasingly that the individual animals do matter um, species like elephants and wolves have very strong social structures where if you remove an individual it's not just one less in the population but you're breaking up a family you're yeah. breaking up a pack the dynamics of the behavior of those animals are going to change as a result so there's a lot of different ways where i think individuals do matter but, you know, traditionally in conservation, we just talk about, is it endangered or not? Like, how many are yeah, there? Exactly. There's so much more that needs to be considered. There's, there's a book called The 10% World, and it is the, the premise is that humans, in our arrogance, we will hunt 
or kill anything down to 10% of its population, and then we'll put it in a zoo. <laughs> I, I completely believe that. But if, for, from have, a human perspective, there's either there's too many or there's not enough. There's never, if you ask someone, what's the right number of <laughs> birds or whale? Like, we don't know. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, we are, anyways, I, sh- I shouldn't go on a rant, but humans, I think humans are absolutely fabulous in one sense and absolutely horrendous in others at the same time. Is that our survival skill? I think it might be the end of our survival. <laughs> My God, that wasn't, that wasn't really a question, but feel free to, to, uh, to rant. Oh, I, to I like your rants. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the ocean, uh, I keep reading here and there that it's a tremendous carbon sink and that at some point it will cease to be a carbon sink because it will be saturated with carbon. Can you give me some some thoughts on that? Oh, and again, um, I, this is not an area that I know an incredible amount about, but there has been a lot of emerging science that, with whales specifically as being great carbon sinks because they, they store a lot of carbon. Um, and in fact, a whale might conserve more than, say, in a certain area of trees to protect. And I think a lot of uh, work so far has been done on protecting grasslands and protecting forests, which is great. But there seems to be a lot of new evidence coming out that protecting wild animals and the roles that they play in those habitats can actually be even more important. I mean, we still need to preter- preserve the forests and grasslands, obviously, but the role that these animals play by moving nutrients from one area to another um, helps the, the, the habitat become more productive and store more carbon. It can uh, increase it by 30 to 40%. I think there was a paper that came out last week. Yeah. So the role of animals is, I would say, also something that we need to be looking at, not just protecting the vegetation and plant matter. Yeah, I never, I really thought, never really thought about that, that uh, animals in the ocean will buy, would um, sequester carbon and it would stay sequestered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, this, also, apparently, whale poop is is they produce produce a huge amount of poop, which has fascinating, wonderful eco, ecosystem uh, benefits. And it, it cycles up and down. They come to the top and they feed, and they go to the bottom, or they go to the top and they poop, and the poop <laughs> makes its way down to the bottom. There's like, yeah, there's a whole area of study around that, which is fa- fascinating. Yeah, um, and what there's okay when climate change happens. Um, we, most of us, most people are becoming, you know, painfully aware of what happens on land with climate change. We have wildfires, we have floods, we have uh, infestations. All these things are hugely damaging to wildlife. Look, think of, I keep, during that whole, um, the forest fires in Australia, I was, you know, everyone was worried terribly about the wildlife in Australia that was being fried, right? And so, um, my question to you, and perhaps is what, how does climate change? change affect the oceans um, I guess temperature is one yeah. thing yeah and I think the one that we probably are almost aware of is the deterioration of the the ice pack and yes. and uh, you know even ice formations on eastern Canada a lot of species that need this ice to breed or reproduce to survive that ice habitat isn't there for anymore so again the harp seals they need to give birth on ice if they don't have ice uh, entire year classes of of pups will be lost but there's other implications and again getting back to the right whales I think climate change has been a factor in why they are going downhill so quickly is they feed on a species of zooplankton called Calanus. And the Calanus is changing where it kind of blooms because of changing ocean temperatures. The Gulf of Maine is the third, I think it's heating up three times faster than any other body of water on the planet. And that's where right whales have typically fed. But because it's getting warmer, their food is moving to a different area. The whales are moving to a different area to try to find them. And that's putting them into the direct path of shipping lanes and fishing areas, which is why we're having so much mortality right now. 
Um, it's because they're, they're trying to follow their food and that's putting them in harm's way. Yeah. Um, we always hear, we, we hear about uh, the uh, permafrost. If, as the permafrost melts, it releases, releases a lot of um, methane, which is a, fi- a feedback loop because methane is a 20 times worse than CO2 as a, as a climate, climate change gas. Um, do the oceans, as the oceans warm up, do they release more? Um, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going into serious I, chemistry, which yeah, I, know I know nothing about. But do you think, that, but is there a, a, an issue there with oceans warming up? You know, I don't know. You would probably know better than I, don't I actually do. actually know. I'm a very casual reader of, of a lot of things. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I, that worries me, of course, and people write about it, is the, the ocean currents. Because as climate change yeah. happens, uh, as, uh, as the cold water from uh, the melting uh, polar caps, uh, Greenland ice cap in Antarctica, the, 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 the ocean currents could slow down or stop or change directions. And if the Gulf Stream slowed down or stopped, uh, Europe would freeze. Yeah, that's t- it terrifying, isn't it, to think about? Yeah, it's and there, there's huge. You know, you even think of um, of eels that eels ride the currents. There's yeah. that book. Did you read that book? The, what's it called? The Book of Eels. No, it's a fabulous book about the life cycle of the eel. Because for until like the 50s, nobody knew how they reproduced. It was like fascinating. They are fascinating. fascinating great book. Hmm. Well, yeah. when you look at uh, climate change feedbacks with biodiversity, there's a direct link, you know, especially on, on that I know about is, I mean, read about is on land. Um, methane is released because of the composition, because of uh, frozen organic carbon is held into the soil. And, and when you have like the pine beetle infestation in British Columbia, it, uh, it killed these a lot of trees, which causes a lot of uh, feedback loops um, to release carbon and methane. And then we have more climate change. It's all these, 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 these cycles. It's, uh, we are, as David Suzuki calls it, an, uh, engaged in an uncontrolled experiment with the planet. Yeah. Are you worried personally? Do you have children? I don't have children. Um, <laughs> are which... you glad in a certain way? Oh, yes. It's definitely something that I probably thought about when making, you know, the decision to not have children is, yeah, yeah. but I have a niece and I have a nephew and I worry for them and the world that they'll be living in. I'm inspired by young people all the time, every time I meet young people and I'm inspired to see how engaged they are on the climate issue and looking for solutions and working towards solutions. I mean, when I was in school, climate, no one heard about climate change, right? We were still worried about the ozone layer back back then. Um, So I am very inspired. Um, but yeah, it's also worry, worrisome. And as you say, every year of the infestations and the for, for, forest fires and the flooding, and it's right happening in front of our very eyes right now. Yeah. Can you outline a number of the campaigns or programs that IFA is engaged in around the world? Oh, we're in 14 countries around the world now with um, you know projects and many more. You mentioned the Australia bushfires. We have an office in Australia that was very involved in that and rescuing koalas. We do a lot of wildlife rescue and rehabilitation, um, especially after natural disasters, emergencies, after uh, hurricanes and after earthquakes. Again, we'll help support animals. Um, The right whales is a very big campaign for us right now and making sure that governments are putting in the very best policies possible to help protect the species from going extinct. Oh gosh, what else can I tell you? What about what about poaching? I, I understand poaching illegal wildlife trade is a very big issue for still, us. Still, well. because we we always hear that oh, this is being done. The UN has done this, and we think okay, put a ribbon around it, problem solved. No, I think it's it's still happening. A lot is being done, and governments are taking it more seriously. There's been a lot more investment, I think, in tracking poachers and stopping the the chain. Um, but we're also working to stop the demand for wildlife species, you know, endangered wildlife species. 
it's stopping the poaching, it's stopping the trafficking, the trafficking chain, and then stopping the demand as well. What is the strategy with elephant elephant ivory these days? Of what status is that? Oh, geez, you're throwing you're throwing hard <laughs> questions at me now. Here I was, I had my my mind all on uh, right whales. Um, that, that's a good question. I think they're still being they're still being poached. They're still ivory trade. Yeah. I think China a few years ago made a move to ban <clears throat> or to restrict their ivory trade somewhat that has had a, a big impact. Um, one of the big ambitious projects we're working on is uh, building connectivity for elephants in Southern Africa. Okay. Um, right now there's sort of discrete protected areas and parks yeah. where they're in, but elephants really need the space to migrate and to, to make those ecosystem need corridors. Changes. Well, yeah. Corridors. And we don't really use the word corridor. Cause I think that gives the idea of like a hallway where you have to stay in between the lines, but right. we want to build a network of connected areas so that elephants can room to roam is what we call it. Okay. So that elephants have space to, to go and do their ecosystem things, like play the role that they are supposed to play in an ecosystem. Yeah. Um, that's a very ambitious project for us that will take many, many decades, I think, if we were ever to see well, it. Well, I think of um, uh, Yellowstone to Yukon as mm -hmm. a corridor, uh, core areas conservation with corridors, and same with uh, Algonquin to Adirondack, uh, the A to A and the Y to Y, yeah. so these kinds of things. That's, I guess that's called conservation biology, where we look at the whole planet and try to help make sure that uh, wildlife is interconnected and doesn't end up in being islands of... Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, of we can't just put them in parks and expect everything to be okay. Um, so with International Fund for Animal Welfare, do, you know, do people donate to through through the Canadian office or is there an international office or how does it work for uh, donations? We, we have a Canadian office for Canadian donors, but it, if anyone's listening and would care to check us out, you can go to ifa.org, ifaw.org. And there's information on all of our programs and campaigns there all around the world. Cheryl, this has been personally very fascinating to me to, to speak with someone like you who has done all these things that I only read about in the paper. Uh, I'm, I'm In one way, I'm very jealous, but also I'm horrified by what I hear from you. Um, but I'm so happy that people like you and uh, IFA are doing all this work, which... Um, which you're doing the work of the angels, I must say. And I really, uh, I really compliment you for, for your dedication. So and thank mm. you very much for being on my show. Well, thank you. And thank you for spreading the word and making people more aware of climate change and what's happening in our planet. I think it's, it's very easy for, for us to tune out. So thank you for having this program. I went to the country to escape the noise and lights. And I laid there in the pine cones all night. I woke in the morning and all the trees were gone I got this sinking feeling, everything felt wrong There were strip malls and dollar stores and deep